not yet. Um, because I want to talk about the scriptures. You can open your Bibles to the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, as it's called. Um, so this is my family. Uh, my wife Amy is with me today, thankfully. And uh, my oldest daughter, Catherine, is a wedding photographer, so she hooks us up with these kind of photos, um, you know, by, by her friends that are also photographers. Um, she's the one on the end, and then Lydia is 23, and then Nathaniel on the other end, 21. He's a, a senior at Messiah, where uh, John and James and Kim and uh, Amy and maybe some others here went. Um, I know that uh, Autumn's going to be going there. At least that was what we were arranging over breakfast this morning, so... Uh, we live six minutes away from there, so um, there is some uh, some offense that I've taken over the weekend. We came up on Friday and visited, but it was really disturbing like to hear that people are going to be in Lancaster and they're not going to come visit us because uh, we live, you know, an hour away. And I don't know how I don't know how you could think of anything better to do than to come visit us. I mean. I even heard that a certain family was in Hershey. And that's like less than half an hour, and they did not come visit us. So anyway, if you're in that area, come see us. Um, we're, right, we're really close to 81 in the Turnpike, Pennsylvania Turnpike. So, you know, if you happen to have a daughter going to Liberty or something like that, you'd think you'd swing by. Um, anyway, uh, really briefly, like about a couple things the Lord's given us to do. The, the Lord arranged eight years ago, I was able to change to uh, working part-time. And so... Uh, uh, really great story someday, sometime I'll share with you how the Lord brought all, the, all that together. But a couple of the things that we're active in, uh, there's a camp in uh, Pennsylvania called Greenwood Hills that we have a significant uh, part in. Uh, teaching of the scriptures, you know, obviously this kind of context. I also have a channel on YouTube called Encourage Depending. Love for you to look at that. All these things are free. Well, Greenwood Hills isn't free, but anyway, the, the YouTube, of course, is uh, free. And I don't make any money off of it, though there might be ads, because that's how YouTube works these days. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, so I've taught through Romans 1 to 8 on their short, like six minute, six to eight minute videos. I think there's 13 of them to do Romans 1 to 8. Perhaps you'd be edified by that. Colossians covered in short videos. I'm working on Daniel now. I've done up through chapter six so far. I think the Lord's arranging I'm taking a hiatus for the summer, and I'll get back to it in the fall. But trust that would be a blessing to you. Uh, the Lord's given us some ability to record some amateur but half-decent uh, recordings and post them to saintserving.net, as well as some of them on YouTube under our Saint Serving channel, really just to try to help you learn the songs and enjoy the songs. They're not super professional. Um, and then uh, tw- 10 years ago almost, uh, a new assembly started in Mechanicsburg, uh, presently meeting in our home about 20 of us. In the last year, I, I put up here two young couples that the Lord arranged to join our assembly uh, that are committed and enthusiastic, uh, the two Joshes. So if you can remember that, pray for them, pray for the, the work in Mechanicsburg. Um, and then um, the Lord's given a lot of uh, uh, opportunity with college students at Messiah. Um, we moved to Mechanicsburg intentionally from York uh, what, 15, 16 years ago, I guess, 14 years ago. And uh, anyway, we didn't really have Messiah on our mind, but the Lord did, right? And so he put us really close. Um, our home has had thousands of people come through it, which is wonderful, uh, many of them uh, being college students. So he allowed, I, I've taught as an adjunct a couple times in engineering, and then uh, that opened the door to do what I really was more interested in, which was teaching the scripture. So I've done six-week chapels there, uh, we go over Friday afternoons for um, an hour in the Word, we call it, four to five at the Union, uh, which they bring up the topic, and we say, the, script, the Bible has answers, let's look into the Scriptures, and it's been a great time. Maybe 30, 40 students come. Um, they come to our house once a month on first Saturdays, um, and then, uh, well, I'll have a brother come teach. Uh, actually, John and James have both done it, and, uh, and then my wonderful wife makes homemade dinner for them, which, of course, is a, a, you know, from heaven when you're in college to get homemade dinner. Um, and then lots of personal opportunities, you know, meeting them at a diner for breakfast and uh, just personal shepherding and teaching. There's only a few of them that are part of the assembly. Uh, this is a shot from our May uh, first Saturday get-together. We had 48 people in our home, and it's not a big home. Um, but the Lord arranged that we have a sunroom that's suited to fit about 45 people. Um, so really super opportunities. Appreciate prayer for that. And then I'll leave off with just one last thing that you could specifically pray out because it's next Thursday. There's a street fair in Mechanicsburg. Mechanicsburg doesn't have a great deal that's amazing about it. 
Um, but for some reason, like 100,000 people come to this street fair, and I walked Main Street in Mechanicsburg for vendors, and we said, hey, why shouldn't we be there with the best news of all, right, carrying the gospel? So we set up a, a double booth and share the gospel with whoever comes by, and there's all kinds of whoever's. That, that come by uh, at a street fair. So that's this coming Thursday, super long day, you know, set up at 7 in the morning, tear down at 9 at night, and, uh, and <laughs> need the help of the Holy Spirit, right, as you engage with people that you're just random people that happen to be walking by, that you try to engage them with the gospel. So I appreciate your uh, praying for that. All right, so if you look at so- uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2, Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 15, <clears throat> Um, I, I love to do overviews of, of books of the Bible, so as you saw, like, you know, cover the book of Colossians, that kind of thing. I think that's kind of how the Lord has gifted me or ministry he's given me to do. So today we're going to do an overview of the book of Song of Solomon. I know that's very unusual, and I think um, we're missing out by that being unusual. The book of Song of Songs has been a massive blessing to me, a great blessing to me. Um, happy to be married 26 years, and we're like loving it. You know, it's a great time. And Song of Solomon is part of the, ben- part of the reason for that, how it's been a huge help uh, before we were married and uh, as we were married. So obviously we're only going to be able to like really quickly touch some things, okay? Hopefully give you the broad picture and hit a few lessons that we'll wrap up with um, at the end. But to start with, I just want to point out this verse in Song of Solomon 2.15. Um, she says, I think it's hers uh, speaking, my Bible says, the chorus. So the Song of Songs is kind of like a musical. I don't know if you've gone to musicals at all. I didn't at all until my kids were in high school. And then the, the, my daughter got involved in musicals. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like, all these people moving around and these songs. Anyway, so the, the, it's kind of like a musical where there's the, the bride and, the, and the, the groom and eventually husband and wife. Um, but then there's kind of a chorus that'll come in now and again, you know, like you do in musicals. And so perhaps this is a chorus, but I, I think of it more as probably the, the bride speaking or the husband or, or the groom. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. Now in chapter 1 and in chapter 8, she speaks of herself as a vineyard. She talks about not taking care of her vineyard, chapter 1. And then in chapter 8, she says, my vineyard is for you, Solomon, basically. So she uses this poetic language, which maybe we as Americans aren't great with poetry, Right? Um, but it's poetic language that we're going to have to work on and like think about and say, okay, what's the imagery? What's being conveyed about this? Now, it's intentionally poetic. It's talking about things that are very beautiful but secret. And so God makes them, speaks of them in poetic ways as he records them in the scriptures um, intentionally. It's not base at all. And that's how the world handles uh, intimate relationships. It's very base, right? It drags it down in the gutter and it makes it a swear words. Right? That's how the world handles these things. May the Lord help us to not think like that, talk like that, imagine like that. Right? It should be very elevated. Now, this is God's idea. Amen? Male and female is God's idea. In fact, in Genesis, well, let me go to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is asked about the permanency of a marriage relationship, and he points back to Genesis 1 and 2. He quotes them back to back. And he says, you know, in the beginning, God made them male and female. This was like a dramatic doctrinal point, if you will. In the beginning, God made them male and female and said, uh, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. Uh, and the two should become one flesh. And so uh, kind of the crowning po- point of God's creation was male and female, right? Now, no wonder Satan attacks it, right? And the world attacks it because Satan is the rule of, the, of this world. We should celebrate it. We should be very happy in God's great idea that he came up with. Now, it's a way of manifesting himself, even, right? In the image of God created he them, male and female. You wouldn't get the full display of the character, the person of God, without male and female. Male and female in in their complementary nature that God created. Song of Solomon is really showing us a healthy development of a loving relationship between a man and a woman. Anybody interested in that? Right? Like this, and this is God-given, right? This isn't some book that some guy that thought he was smart or some woman that thought she was smart wrote. Maybe they are smart, right? Maybe they are helpful. But this is God-given book, right? Let me give you... Now, he doesn't just do it as some logical development like the book of Romans, which is really helpful, right? This is a, a musical, right? Now, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? 
right? A relationship is not just some kind of like mathematical equation. It's a living, vital thing like gardening. Now, gardening is really good to do, right? Uh, they learn all kinds of lessons. We uh, dug out some ancient boxwoods, boxwoods from our house, and, and cutting the branches was easy. Digging out the roots, that's hard work. Really hard work, and the way those roots are in. Well, there's some great lessons there we're not going to get into, right? But the idea of, man, you've got to get to the roots of things. You learn from gardening. And so gardening, you know, it has to be a vine, a vineyard, has to be taken care of. It's going to be as healthy as the care given to it. And in particular, in the scriptures, Ephesians say, husbands, love your wives, nourish and cherish them. Particularly, the scriptures lay the weight on the husband. And I think we see that in Song of Solomon, that really the man takes the lead in nurturing a healthy relationship. I'm intentionally using the word healthy because it's like a vine growing, right? Now, you maybe tried to grow some things that didn't grow, right? But, man, we've had some great... Uh, I don't know if they're cherry tomatoes or they grape tomatoes. Anyway, we've had great tomato bushes <laughs> you know, in the last couple of years. Um, and they're just there's abounding, right? Is that the kind of relationship we want, right? We don't want to just kind of eke by in our marriage. And that's not God's vision at all, as you see it in Song of Solomon and in the scriptures. I mean, is that how Christ relates to the church? He's like, you know, I, hopefully we'll get through this. You know? <laughs> no, he wants a, a vibrant, abounding church. He wants people that love him because they know he loves them, right? That the light in the relationship with the Lord Jesus, that smile because when they think of Christ, right? There's a young lady when, when she prays, one of the students, she, she'll usually end her prayer with, uh, Lord, we love you. That's great, isn't it? That's what it's supposed to be like, right? It's not just like we got to check, check, check. We got our doctrine straight or something. I'm not belittling doctrine at all. Doctrine is very important. But man, we got to love the Lord, right? And that's what he wants. He just doesn't just want people that go through the routine or something. They, they'd follow some kind of rules. It's, it's people that are, are holy, are righteous in how they go about things. But fundamentally, it's because they love the Lord. And the reason why they love the Lord Jesus is because they know his love for them. Right? We love him because he first loved us. And I think we can see that in Song of Solomon, that, that the bride's joy and delight in their relationship grows and largely is nurtured by the husband or the, the groom. Um, so like, we, I mean, I'm, I'm waxing eloquent here, and that's what I said. Amy, pray that I'll be efficient with my words. Um, but you get the point here, nurturing a rich fellowship. <sighs> Man. Anyway, this world, right? The, do they, do they think about relationships as a rich fellowship that you nurture, right? So base, so lame. Sorry, I like, it's just lame, right? Anyway, the, the sex-occupied culture that we live in is so lame, right? One night stands, I mean, give me a break. Like, if you could have a lifelong relationship with someone that's loving and that's, that's nurturing and that's encouraging... It's so much better. I mean, infinitely better, right? And it's God's idea. It's God's idea. All right, I've broken up Song of Solomon into, into five parts here. You could, I think I've done it in seven in the past, but I'm trying to be somewhat efficient here this morning. So the first part. So look at chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm just going to kind of flip you through Song of Solomon. Maybe you want to mark a few things up as we go here. Um, and a lot of these thoughts came out 10 years ago when I uh, studied to teach at the couples retreat at Greenwood Hills. So here's five messages jammed into one. Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. I love that right from the start. It's Solomon's song primarily. This is not at all. Well, and flip over to chapter 3, verse 11. We'll put these two together. 3.11. Go out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon with the crown with which his mother has crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the joy or the gladness of his heart. So this is they get married at the end of chapter 3. But notice how it's described. It's the day of the gladness of his heart. This is how a wedding should be. Like wedding day for a man should be the day of the gladness of his heart. Now, is that how it always is in the world? I come across a co-worker, right? Oh, wow, you got married. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. as what. Yeah, how's, yeah. Oh, it's because they were living together for two years before that, right? And they just robbed themselves. They robbed themselves. Or how about like... Oh, yeah, you know, she twisted my arm enough, and I finally, you know, asked her to marry me. 
That is not the picture. That's terrible. What a robbery. No, it should be the day of the gladness of his heart. It should be such a joy. Finally, I get my bride to be my wife. And we can go through life together. Finally. I had 15 months that were eternal of engagement. It's because I was in college, you know? 15 eternal months. It was ridiculous. Terrible, right? And so when we finally got married, I was so glad, right? We could actually go through life together now instead of call each other and try to figure out when we can see each other again, you know? It should be the day of the gladness heart. The Song of Songs is a Solomon's. It's not the Shulamites. It's Solomon's. He's so happy, thrilled with this. Well, as we look at chapter 1, look at uh, chapter 1, verse 5. And black and beautiful, you daughters of Jerusalem. So here's the, the woman talking, the Shulamite. You daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, for the sun has tanned me. So we don't get that right because we think getting tan is a great idea, right? But then it wasn't, right? It was better to not be tan. So she was embarrassed in some measure about herself because she had to, as she says at the end of this, this verse, my, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretakers of the vineyard. So she's outside taking care of an actual literal vineyard. And so she's getting tan, and that's not attractive in their culture, at least in their thinking, right? But I have not taken care of my own vineyard. Right? That's speaking of herself. So she, does, she feels some measure of ashamed um, self-consciousness. Now, as chapter 1 develops, um, he is so good at complimenting her. <laughs> that was a really helpful lesson to me. You know, as a young man, as a bridegroom. You know, like, I want to take the lead at complimenting my bride. And still now my wife, Right? I want to take the lead in that. I want to initiate compliment. I want to, I want to tell her specific ways that I find her attractive. That I, now, the ways that he describes her attractiveness in chapter 1 and 2 are appropriate to engagement or to a, a budding relationship. He compliments her eyes. He compliments her neck. He compliments her cheeks. He doesn't compliment parts of her body that are for marriage. Now, when, you get, when they get married, then he compliments that. Beautiful, right? Appropriate complimenting. And what happens is his complimenting her is contagious, that she starts to compliment him. This is how Song of Solomon develops. It's contagious. So look at uh, chapter 2. Um, well, at the end of chapter 1, verse, 14, verse 16, she says, How handsome you are, my beloved, and so delightful. He had been complimenting how, verse 15, How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Um, one of the struggles we have with Song of Solomon is the, uh, well, one, I think we're just not really very poetic. But secondly, the way that they express themselves, the metaphors they use, we might not get, right? Like if, you know, your hair is like a flock of goats or something like that. Like, like I, the only interaction I had with a goat, the goat was pretty annoying, right? So I'm like, I'm not going to, like, compliment my wife that way, right? But, you know, there are other things that she'll understand, I'm using metaphorical language, imagery, right? Like the beach, right? They don't talk about the beach, but you guys live near the beach. It's pretty beautiful. We were there last night, right? You're like the sunset on a beautiful June night when the, when the noceums are not biting. <laughs> Sorry. Don't put that in there, James. Don't put that in there, right? Um, yeah, but we, like, they use language that we could understand, that they understood. It made sense to them. And they, they, she got the compliment. Notice in chapter 2, um, she, uh, she says, I'm the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. And he responds, like a lily among the thorns. So is my darling among the young women. So important that she would sense that he has a singular delight in her among all the other women. He knows that there's other women. Right? It's not like, what? There's other women that are attractive? I never knew that. No, there are. Right? But he thinks she is the premier. She is the best. Now, I have the privilege of talking to Amy that way, right? Perhaps you have the privilege of talking to a woman that way. Maybe some of you young men, you'll have the privilege of talking to a young woman that way someday. Maybe not yet. But this idea of a singular love and that I can nurture this, this loving relationship, like I should, I should actually over time think my wife is more and more attractive. 
because I'm paying a lot of attention to her, right? I'm, paying, I'm noticing things about her that are attracted to that. Nobody else really should be noticing, right? Because I'm with her all the time, and I'm paying attention to her. Like someone has said it this way, you should study your wife, right? I should really notice ways that she's attractive. So he says, you're like a lily among the thorns. Now, when she uh, counter compliments him, uh, in verse 3, she says, you're like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. She recognized that there are other men in the world, right? But you're the man for me, right? That's what we mean when we say my wife. Uh, the word in the Greek is the same word as woman, right? She's, she's my, my lady. There's lots of ladies, but she's my lady. She's my husband. That's the same word as man, really, right? But there's lots of men in the world, but he's my man. He's my man. So, um, so she compliments the apple tree. This is helpful to me. I grew up with three brothers, young men, you know. Anyway, <laughs> we can kind of like beat up on each other, right? Um, but she's like a lily, Right, one false step, crunch. Right, apple tree, you can run into it. I mean, we did with lawnmowers at least once. I did, um, right, and it came out okay. Right, uh, but you don't want you do that with a lily; it's not going to work out. Right, and so I think there's some real good insight and wisdom there. Sometimes, men, we get frustrated with women being feminine, and we actually should be glad for it. Right? They're like a lily. I mean, lilies are beautiful. But there's some fragile beauty in it. And we should value that. We don't want her to be like an apple tree. Right? We actually want her to be like a lily. That's better. Now, he's like an apple tree, and she finds that she can rest in his shade. What an awesome compliment. Right? At the end of verse 3, In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. You can imagine a hot day, right, and be able to sit next to a tree in the shade. Wow, glory to God, shade is so beautiful, right? It could be a hot day, but you get in the shade, so nice, so refreshing. But imagine if it was an apple tree. You just reach up and take an apple, and that's so refreshing, right? And that's what he was like to her. Wow, what a challenge that is, right? I'm glad that Amy's not giving any commentary, right? (laughs) Is it like that? Like, that's what I want to strive for, though. One of the reasons why maybe we get, like, a little distant from this, because it seems, like, so far off. Like, I don't know if we could ever. Well, like, strive for it at least, right? Don't just live down in the gutter. Like, go for the gusto as best as you can. Develop a rich relationship, right? And this is what I want to be like then. I want to be solid and, and strong, but, but make her feel rested, right? I want, to, I want to pass on rest to her and refreshment, to her as a man. That's the kind of effect that should have on her. Now, as we get to the uh, end of this, it, it says, verse uh, 4, this section, if you will, he brought me to his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. A repeated idea is that he's the king and I don't really belong. So when she says, he brought me to the, the house of wine or the banqueting table and his banner over me is love, it's like they were at this uh, feast of princes and nobles and she was just a country girl who didn't really belong with the king. Right? And yet his banner over her was love. Like she belonged because he thought she belonged. Right? Now, how much with the Lord that's that way, right? Like we don't belong. Zero percent. Actually, it's negative, right? Right? We don't belong. And yet his banner over us is love. And he's done a great work to bring us into this relationship. In fact, man, may the Lord help us. The Lord Jesus desires that we would have such rest in him. That we would have such joy in him. And when we do, it's a massive compliment to him. Isn't it? Like if we're all fretful and I don't know if I'm right with God. Man, what are you saying about Christ? His sufficiency. His excellence, right? Is he enough? Is he enough? So she's resting in him. She says, his banner over me is love. She's so delighted in this. I'd understand verse 7. Some translations say it different. But New King James ESV, I'd be going along with how they say it. Uh, I think it's her speaking. He's saying, swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, her friends, you know, your bridesmaids, that kind of thing, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, that you will not disturb or awaken love until it pleases. So that comes up three times. That's where there's warning signs are over there. So when I was about 18, uh, somebody encouraged me to read Song of Solomon. I read it, and that's all I noticed is those three verses. Maybe that's all I needed to know at that time is these warning verses that say, listen, don't force it. Don't try to make it happen fake. 
you actually want the real thing. You want a real, loving, healthy relationship. And so here she is. She's so overwhelmed. She says she's lovesick. And, but then she thinks about her friends and says, listen, Sarah, like, don't try to make it happen. I know it's awesome. It is awesome. I can, I can hardly contain myself. But don't force it. Like, don't just go for any bozo. Wait for your Boaz. You know? It's, it's better to be um, miss than mistake, right? Like, you really want a, a, a solid man that is really actually attractive and excellent. Okay, so contagious compliments settle her misgivings. Uh, second, rich fellowship longs to be married. I mean, this is really a great thing, and um, it's been robbed in this world. Like, people are like, ah, why would I want to bother getting married? You know, I'll just, I'll just live together, and, you know. But he's so excited to get together with her at the end of chapter 2. She's having dreams that, man, I wish I could be with him at the beginning of chapter 3. And finally they get married at the end of chapter 3. This rich fellowship. Um, he, um, <laughs> so he, he comes one day. It's a beautiful day. This is chapter 2, verse 8 to the end. It's a beautiful day. The spring has come. The winter's passed. And he comes so excitedly that she describes him as being like a gazelle. Now, we probably haven't seen too many gazelles, right? But we can picture them. They're just like a love in life. They're loving life. They're just springing around. And he was like giddy about excitement. It's such a beautiful day. Everything is beautiful. I mean, the flowers are beautiful. The, the rain's passed. The sun's out. There's one thing missing. It's you. And so he comes together. It's like, let's go for a hike. Let's go for a hike. We'll, we'll go out and we'll, we'll go up in the clefts of the rock together. Now, I could have said, let's, let's play Xbox together. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I'm a different generation, granted, right? I mean, I played a little bit of Pac-Man. Um, but, man, being out in God's creation is really good, right? And enjoying it with someone you love is even better, Right? Going to the beach or whatever, taking a walk at sunset with your wife is wonderful. This is great. This is God's idea, right? Like enjoy, you know, maybe after we're married for a while, we, we start to lose a little of that, that zip, that excitement, that longing, that enthusiasm, that excitement. Such that, notice this. She says at the end of that day, uh, verse 17, she says, until the cool of the day when the shadows flee, turn my beloved and be like a gazelle. She's like, oh, do it again. Do it again. I love seeing you excited to be with me. Look at the end of chapter 8. This is how it ends. Turn my beloved and be like a gazelle or a young stag. I love it when you're excited to be with me. That's what she's saying. This is, I think this is after some time at the end of chapter 8. I don't know. We're 26 years in. I, I figure it's only going to get better. I hope so. Right? It's been, it's been getting better all along. Yeah. I mean, it should, right? That, I mean, if we have a surficial, hyped-up, shallow relationship, no, it's not going to get better, right? But if we have some depth of appreciating one another's character, and person, man, that should only get better, right? The roots just kind of grow deeper. And the vines start to just be even more abundant. That's what it should be like. And we should encourage each other. We should nurture each other and develop them to be more beautiful, right? More excellent in character if we have a healthy relationship. What a great thing. What a great idea God has in this marriage idea. Well, they finally get married. Notice in chapter 2, verse 16, she says, My beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flocks among the lilies. We'll come back to that. I put that up there. He's mine. So three times in Song of Solomon, there's this idea of uh, I'm his, he's mine. Well, not exactly that. But this one says, I, uh, he's mine, I'm his. We'll come back to that a little bit later. So rich fellowship belongs to be married. So uh, chapter 3, as I pointed out, they get married. The day of his wedding on the day of the joy of his heart. <clears throat> Very briefly, you know, weddings really should be honored. Uh, not every wedding I've been at has been like that, you know? It was kind of like flippant and stuff. I'm not saying that we have to have... We, I'm not saying that you have to spend a gazillion dollars, one. 
Um, you don't have to like have a military wedding or something. You know what I mean with the trumpets, or whatever. But it should be honorable, right? This is a big deal. This is a big deal. This is like the crossroads of life. Amy and I are going to go through life together now. You know, up to this point, we were on a separate path. Now we're together. We're going through life together. The two shall become one, one flesh. And so at the end of chapter 3, it was a big deal. I mean, he was a king, right? He had a few more dollars than I have. But uh, he, he was a big deal according, according to what he was able to do. And so likewise with us. So they get married, and uh, chapter 4 uh, is wedding night, if you will. One of the, the things that's so great about it is that the idea of holiness is emphasized. Let me show you this. Chapter uh, 4 and verse 12. You know what? Let's start at verse uh, 9. You have enchanted my heart, my sister, my bride. <clears throat> you have enchanted my heart with a single glance of your eyes, with a single strand of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much sweeter is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than that of all kinds of balsam oils. Your lips drip honey, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. He's, he's just lav- uh, overwhelmed with her. A locked garden is my sister, my bride. A locked spring, a sealed fountain. I think one of the translations says an enclosed garden. We were down in Savannah for our 25th anniversary, and they had one of those kind of gardens. It was like an enclosed garden. It's really a beautiful idea, right? An enclosed garden. It's special. And he is complimenting her because she's holy, right? She's kept herself holy. She hasn't shared herself with anyone until then. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, Marriage is honorable, and the marriage bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Fornication is any kind of sexual immorality, like any kind of uh, use of the capacity for physical intimacy outside of a man and his wife in marriage. <clears throat> That's not good. God will judge that, right? But marriage is honorable, the bed undefiled. I mean, it's God's beautiful idea of a man delighting in his wife. In intimacy that only belongs there. It's an enclosed garden. It's something only between the two of them. They're the only ones that know about it. She saved herself for him. An enclosed garden. Holiness is beautiful, isn't it? Holiness is beautiful. And so he compliments her in that. That it's really, really attractive. That you're for me. Now that's how a man should think, right? What amazing privilege that that this woman, this wonderful, beautiful woman, would share herself with me. What an amazing privilege. And so she then, as the chapter develops, says, well, I want to share my garden and have it become your garden so that there, the two become one. And I understand the beginning of chapter 5, the end of verse 1, as the Lord speaking. Some translations, I mean, some um, Bibles with their headings seem to say it's other people which just blows my mind. I can't imagine how there's any other people involved here. I think it's the Lord saying, this is good, when he says, eat friends, drink, yes, drink deeply, lovers. And I mean, it's God's idea to be rejoiced in. And so married oneness delights in holy beauty. Well, you know, chapter 5 is helpful because what happens is there's some kind of strain in their relationship. Now, isn't that nice that the Bible's realistic? Right? It's not just all glowing, like there's never any kind of problem as you get, get married to one another. It seems like maybe it was early on, I don't know, in the, in the musical, if you will, it is. It's the next scene. Um, verse 2 of chapter 5, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the dew drops in the night. I've taken off my dress, she responds. I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? So um, somehow there's some kind of distraction, if you will, um, in, in their relationship. And so he leaves. And then she's, she responds, but too late. And she goes to look for him then. 
um, gets her friends together to go look for him. And they say in verse 9, What kind of beloved is your beloved, O most beautiful among women? What kind of beloved is your beloved that you make us swear in this way? She had said in verse 8, Swear to me, you daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, as to what will you tell him? For I am lovesick. Remember, she was that in chapter 2. She just so much wanted to be restored in her fellowship with him. What drove her to want to be so restored in her fellowship with him? What, her friends ask her, what kind of man is this that you are so much want to get your relationship fixed? Now, we read this um, a fair amount at the end of chapter 5 about the Lord Jesus, and rightly so. Because there's a sense in which, what would drive me to want to get my relationship restored with the Lord Jesus? It would be a parallel to this, right? I love seeing it in that context. Now, the Lord Jesus is perfect in this. I might not be, but I want to aspire to this, that the reason why she wants to get things straightened out is because he is such a great guy. I mean, I'm saying it in modern vernacular, right? He's just, he's such a great guy. He's such great character, so attractive. I love the way he talks. I love the way how he goes about life. He's so encouraging. He's so solid, this is the kind of thing she says about him. She uses rock as an example, right? Like he's so solid. But then she says, well, but his mouth is full of sweetness. Like he's so refreshing. He's like, he's like a stream. You know, the birds are there and they're singing, you know. That's what it feels like being around him. And so no wonder I got to find him and be with him. <sighs> it's kind of a high calling, eh? Men, you agree with that? Like, I want to be that. I want to be solid, yet sweet. Strong and gentle. But that's what the Lord Jesus is like, isn't he? And that's why we'd be so attracted to him. Because he's such a perfect man. Such an excellent man. Right? He's not just okay. <laughs> and so, may the Lord help us, right? That, that I, as a man, would be like that. But women, you know, like you want to... Think about your husband and think about what is excellent about him. You know, maybe you're dull to that. Maybe you need to pay more attention. So that if, it's kind of like, um, like if you had a cup, sorry, this is a lid on it, but like if you had a cup and you got bumped, right, what would come out? Like that's what's going on, right? Life is kind of going on. There's some kind of disruption in it. Her friends are like, why are you so wound up about finding him? And so it's like this question of bumped her. And like out comes. It's not like she sat down, all right, and now I shall write a sonnet about my beloved. Right? This is just like in a conversation with her friends, and she just gushes over him. So maybe spending a little bit of time thinking about what does make my husband so great? Like, what is so attractive about him? What do I love about him? And maybe remind yourself of ways that he is a great guy, if you will. Ways that he is a great guy. Because if we don't, we just kind of go through life, and maybe uh, disruptions come, and then there's not that that magnet, you know, that'll bring you back together. Because you really do think the other person is great, an excellent person. So I find that it'd be a great challenge, is that there, there can be disruptions, and there will be disruptions even, as seen in this scripture, to the joy of marriage, right? But there, the way to have it restored is not to fight with each other or, you know, criticize each other. It's actually, it's to try to find what is it that makes the other person so attractive? What did I... <laughs> Uh, Jabe Nicholson did a, a couple's retreat uh, recently. He said, so I tell young couples that are having problems, like, write down what it is that you were attracted to, and then that's going to be, the, realize that this thing is going to annoy you after 10 years, right? That's kind of true, right? But, like, you know, that, that actually is a good attribute, and maybe I've let it get under my skin, right? That, that really is a good attribute. After all, maybe we need to remind ourselves um, of that. All right, as I understand chapter 6, verse 11, it kind of... Um, you know, it's not hard breaks all the time. It's kind of like the, the scene fades into the next scene. But it seems like there, there's some reminiscing character about it, like looking back, like how in the world did I ever get to this place of being married to the king? Um, and she says in chapter 6, verse 11, I went down to the orchard of nut trees to see the plants of the valley, to see whether the vine had grown. I think she means this literally, like she had gone out in the, in the garden or the pomegranates that bloomed, before I was aware, my soul set me over the chariots of my noble people. Now, she had kind of, like, covered some time real quickly there, but it's like she just got totally swept up. She met Solomon, and, like, this whole thing developed, and how did I ever end up on the chariot? That's ridiculous. Like, I used to be out there, like, harvesting nuts, and now I'm here in a chariot. 
And there's, so there's, I mean, that's a good thing, right, in one sense, right? She feels like a recipient of grace, uh, undeserved favor. But then there can also be, like, a misgiving character about that. Oh, I don't know if I really actually belong here. Like, I'm kind of an outsider. Um, and I understand as he responds to this situation, the way that he compliments her in Chapter 7 are royal terms. He calls her a prince's daughter. That's the kind of way that he compliments her. To give her, to, to give her rest. That he thinks she belongs. He thinks she belongs like, she's beautiful just like a, a prince's daughter. And his compliments uh, overflow again at the beginning of chapter 7. But this is after some time um, in their relationship. And uh, chapter 8 particularly gets even more reminiscent. Like, she's looking back to her uh, when she was born and her childhood. But she's so glad that she's ended up here in a relationship with him. Hopefully we think that way. Now you can I kind of can look back, like I grew up so this situation, this situation. We can look back, like how did I get? Wow! I'm, but I tell you what, I'm so glad I ended up here with you, you know, in this relationship with you. And so she says in chapter seven, verse ten, "I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let's go out to the country. Let's spend the night in the vin- villages. Let's rise early and go out to the vineyards, and let's see if the vine has grown and its bud has opened." Whether the pomegranates have bloomed, there I will give you my love. The mandrakes have given forth fragrance, and over our doors are all delicious fruits, new as well as old, which I have saved for you, my beloved. Um, that sounds a little bit like a guy I heard talking earlier. Do you agree with that? Like, that sounds a little bit like him in chapter 2. He's like, it's so beautiful out, let's go. She's like, let's go, it's really beautiful. Like, the fruits are in abundance, and we're to go enjoy them together. I, I see that as, like, um, uh, positive competition, right? Like, the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compliment you, and you're going to try to step up the game, you know? <laughs> like, that's, like, good competition, right? Like, I'm going to say, let's go enjoy life together, and then the response is going to be, Let, let's go enjoy life together. I have a great idea. This will be so fun to do together. That's a healthy relationship, isn't it? Right? That when I think about life, you know what I'd really love to do is enjoy it with you. It's a shared life. A shared abundance of life. Like, I don't know, I don't eat too many mandrakes or, or uh, pomegranates, right? Pomegranates are pretty awesome, though. But, like, she, she knew about it. And so, like, it's kind of like Amy making me a, a slushy, you know? Because, not a slushy, smoothie. A smoothie, Right? Because they're delicious. And she was making one for herself, but like, oh, I'll make one for you. Or it's kind of like me taking a cracker and putting Vermont cheddar cheese on it and put a, a dollop of apple jelly. And I can't just eat it myself. You guys have never done that? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, sorry, that's a, that's a signature Bruce thing. It's really good. You need to try it. Anyway, so let's try to go back, and I'm just going to summarize a few of these things that we've uh, illustrated here. Uh, just that we're going to say them as actions. All right, so we, chapter 1 to 3 is a budding relationship. Great to visualize it that way. It's a, it's a plant. It's like a plant that's growing. Maybe, maybe if you've never raised plants, you should do that just so you can understand Song of Solomon better. <laughs> you know, they need attention. You don't water them, game's over, right? <laughs> Budding relationship. Lesson number one, compliment each other. Make her feel loved. Sometimes we get irritated about the whole feeling part of life, but you know it's real. <laughs> you know, life isn't just black and white, right? There's feelings. Make her feel loved and settled about herself. That's my task, right, as, as a husband. This is not somebody else's job for Amy. It's my job. Right? Um, exhort others to not stir up love artificially. That's three times in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, 3, and 8. Um, call your spouse, or in this case, they were engaged, I think, probably, or betrothed. Call them to enjoy pleasantness of life. You know? We shouldn't, life is, is supposed to be good, right? When God created the world, he said it's good. And then he got to the end, he said it's very good. Do we agree with God? I'm not saying we have to spend tons of money, right? You can go hiking for free, right? 
so you can enjoy the pleasantness of life. You want to nurture that kind of thing. So here in an early marriage relationship, well, first they're getting married. Honor the joining of spouses in marriage at a wedding. It's an honorable thing, and we should honor it, treat it that way. Value holy intimacy because God made it honorable. It's an honorable thing. When disruptions happen, and they will, like work to restore the relationship. Nurture the fellowship. It's a good challenge. And have those attractive ways that make people want to restore the relationship, right? I want to be attractive. Uh, be one that she can joyfully rest in. We didn't talk a whole lot about that, but you see that at the beginning of chapter 6. We mentioned it in chapter 2. Now, um, I guess most of my blood is German, okay? So German are pretty practical, you know, practical. They talk about German engineering, right? You know? Maybe not the most poetic, right, Germans? Anybody agree with that? Okay. You know, I think we should be poetic. At least with my wife, whether I'm German or not, right? Like, I, I want to learn how to speak in flowing terms. For my wife's sake, at least, right? This is not just, yeah, you're fine. Like, you know, I told you I loved you, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. Right? <laughs> that is not what's going on here, right? Do you agree with that? Like, this is a nurtured relationship. Be one that she can joyfully rest in. Tell her how you find her overwhelmingly beautiful. There's specific compliments, and there's broad compliments. Like, you're perfect. There's no spot in you. There's, like, the positive and the negative. Anyway, maybe take some lessons, right, men? Take some lessons on how to compliment your wife from Song of Solomon. I, I, I almost think sometimes we treat Song of Solomon like it's not in the Bible. Like, this is divinely given. Do you agree with that? It was in the Bible when Jesus was on the earth, and he didn't say, well, yeah, not Song of Solomon. Right? It was in the Bible. So, like, let's take the lessons. All right, and then um, kind of phase three here, the, a lasting rich relationship, you know? I don't like the expression, the honeymoon's over. I don't like that at all. It shouldn't be like that. It should be getting better. I understand that we get older and life gets busy and we have kids and all the rest. But, man, I'm going to work at maintaining a rich relationship, not just a survival relationship, right? We want to thrive in our relationships. Um, so we really want her to, I want my wife to grow in her joy in me, in this sense that, that she could say, I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. Like, there's no question in my mind that he thinks I'm all that. Man, that was such a lame expression, right? That's how we say it these days, right? The Lord help me. Um, rejoice at contagious blessing, right? They're, they're like blessing each other back and forth, looking for ways how they can bless one another. Um, nurture joy and shared abundance of life, whether that's pomegranates or mandrakes or apples or whatever it might be, right? Enjoy good things together. Again, we don't have to spend millions of dollars if we don't have it, right? Don't go into debt over this, but there's, there's things that aren't that expensive that you can enjoy together. Um, desire that your delight grows with time, right? The last verse in Song of Solomon conveys that idea. Like, be like the gazelle. How many of you guys like gazelles? Be like a gazelle, right, that's excited about your relationship, that's enthusiastic about your relationship. I love having you with me. And you know, um, you have to be convincing. And that doesn't mean you're like, what's that, uh, suave, you know, Rico suave. That doesn't mean you have to be, just, like, you have to be convincing, right? Most women can see right through that stuff, right? Like, your life needs to show it, is what I'm saying. Like, it needs to show that you actually are thrilled to have her as your woman, as your wife, right? And it, it has to develop over time that there's this rest, there's this settledness, there's this joy, there's this confidence. I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. Um, that's, it's that way in our relationship with the Lord, isn't it? Like, when we first start in a relationship with the Lord, we probably would say something like, um, he's mine. He's mine. And then it'll grow into, I'm his, and he's mine. That's the second thing she says, chapter 6, verse 3. But then this is kind of the richest 
way of our relationship with the Lord. I'm his, and his desire is towards me. I mean, that should make us worshipers, shouldn't it? (laughs) To think of the Lord Jesus that way, that I am his, and he wants it that way. You believe that? Like that the Lord actually has such a heart towards us? I heard that you spoke on 2 Corinthians 5.21. I mean, that's the, like God was in the world reconciling the world to himself, not imputing our sins to us. And now he's begging through us, Paul says. He's, he's begging through us. Be reconciled to God. God wants you reconciled to himself. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. That's how far God went. Is he gave his own son to become sin for you so you could be reconciled to him. But we should grow in that, right? There's a day when I got saved. I was nine. I got saved. I realized that I was a sinner. I deserved the judgment of God, right? I was bad enough to go to hell. And I called upon the Lord to save me, and he saved me. But as we go on in life, it should only get better, right? Because it dawns on us more and more how really there's not really anything attractive in us except what he's making us to be, praise the Lord, right? But his desire is towards us. He loves us. We love him because he first loved us. Should I close in prayer? I don't know what your routine is. God, our Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it might take good root in our hearts, in our minds. Deliver us from the vanity of our own thoughts, from the vanity of this world, whatever way that comes at us. Not just the modern world, maybe the world we grew up in even had ways of thinking that really aren't in line with yours. Give us help to submit our thoughts to your word. And we thank you that you have such high goals. We worship you as a good God. The Lord is good and does good. We worship you that that's your character. Lord Jesus, we're thrilled to know you. And that we can admire you. And when we speak, (laughs) at least what we think, our lavish praise to you, we can know that it falls way short of how excellent you really are. But we rejoice in you also as such a wonderful example to us that we could strive to be like you. And we're glad that it's actually possible by the power of the Holy Spirit in us that we could actually start to show your character as we go through life. So it may be so that uh, each one here, you know their state, you know their situation, where they're at in life. But maybe so that their lives, uh, as you look down from heaven, you'd smile. You'd be glad at what you see about how they go about life. Whether they're single, whether they're in a marriage relationship, Lord, that, that they would be showing this kind of character, though. A, a joyful character. A, a character that's overflowing in your abundance. And that blesses others around them because of that. And above all, we bless you for being that kind of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. May we be like you, we pray. In the Lord Jesus' precious name, amen.